1: Hey, it's Max. Uh, Evan and Aaron are not around. This is a, a special bonus episode of the Long Form Podcast. Uh, in addition to uh, working on Long Form, I also work at a uh, podcast company called Pineapple Street Media. And in February 2017, Pineapple uh, put out this show hosted by uh, the guest of this bonus episode, Dan Taberski show is called um, Missing Richard Simmons and Dan and I worked quite closely on that show. He has a new show out. It just finished its six episode run. It's called Surviving Y2K. Uh, It's all about the end of the last millennium. And particularly it's about people uh, who thought perhaps the apocalypse was coming and uh and did drastic things with their lives dan is one of those people it's important context for you to know for this conversation he um came out to his wife right around the millennium 1999 uh so anyway this one is a uh, sort of inside the family episode uh dan and i worked together really really closely and uh and yet still there were questions that i had uh never asked him before so I did and, uh, and that is what you're going to listen to right now we'll be back with a uh, regular episode on Wednesday that episode will be uh, sponsored by MailChimp just like this bonus episode is sponsored by MailChimp just like every episode we have done in 2018 has been sponsored by MailChimp we quite literally could not do this show without their support and uh, I want to thank them thanks for everything MailChimp Okay, here's uh, a conversation with Dan Daburski. How does it feel to be in the other chair?
2: Uh, It it feels literally, I am literally in the other chair because that's my interview chair. You're sitting in my interview chair when I do interviews here. Technically, you're sitting in my interview chair (laughs) when you do interviews (laughs) here, but... Yeah, (laughs) but in terms of, yeah, I feel like I own that chair and apparently I don't. No, you don't. I mean, I literally actually own this. Show. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So second twice, you're gonna really bring on home. I own this place. Yeah. Uh, this is all, yeah, awesome. all. it's all mine. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Uh,
1: I think we just have to uh, um, lean ourselves into the to the weirdness. That's, mm. that's my opinion of how we should do this. I'm
2: uh, that is. Uh, I'm all about that.
1: I feel like um, I'm. I have uh, on the long form podcast, oftentimes like pushed the meta envelope. And, uh, and I feel like today's an opportunity just to like knock it off the table. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, here here are uh, some things I want to talk to you about. Uh, you and I work very closely together mm. and have for some time. Mm. There are lots of things that I know about you. Mm. Uh, and I've I've elected, I think, to not pretend I don't know those things and then ask you questions about them.
2: That makes sense. Uh,
1: but here's the thing that I don't know, mm. which makes sense to talk about on the show, is um, how... Uh, how do you write this shit?
2: How, like process?
1: Yeah, because here's my experience of it Is like we will do an edit mm. And we'll give you a bunch of notes And then you go away mm. And come back And, it, and uh, it's done what happens in the dance space? That's what I'm.
2: The dance space. The dance space is where I struggle. Uh, that's where I do my private struggling. Um, I, it's funny because I I really like uh, I like edits. I, I like the process where people tell me what they do and don't like about it. And and I f- I like to think that I'm uh, that I'm super open to criticism and that I want to hear. I really 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 want to hear what people don't like. Um, because it's honest like if people hear something and it, something doesn't hit them the right way like I want to know that that's that's like great information but that being said I don't like you know sometimes when we'll have an edit like you know so I'll bring in a cut of an episode and 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 we'll have an edit, and somebody will type up all the notes. Right, they'll type up all the notes, like everybody, everything that everybody said. And like Max said this, and then Jenna said this, and then Henry said this, and then Max said this. I never read that. <laughs> <laughs> I literally never read it. Um, and, and which is a trick I learned. Um, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful. It's just a trick I learned in that uh, from television, in that people give conflicting notes all the time, and you you can't you can't. Tr- at least for me, it doesn't work for me to try to identify to try to check off the notes that people gave me and address those notes. It's just about taking the vibe in the room and the collective feeling of how everybody wanted this thing to evolve and 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 taking that feeling and running with it and I end up incorporating a lot of the notes in that way but i, I definitely don't um I don't do a checklist of like here's what people want me to change do you, not,
1: do you feel like you're like an ac- okay. accurate reader of the of the vibes in the room
2: uh, i've I I I will say this my experience at least here is that when I have read the room wrong I just come back and I I've done the wrong thing and they'll <laughs> tell me again. Uh and I and I think that's okay too. Uh but I do I I do think that I I get a a general sense of when when people are giving me a note that doesn't quite have meat behind it or they're giving me a note that has a lot of depth and is coming from a place that they're sort of incorporating a lot of different perspectives and and sort of giving me a big note that I can actually chew on instead of just like, why don't you try this? Like like somebody who can give a good note about what I'm doing wrong uh, is just invaluable to me. So when, when you get those,
1: the, the notes and then the notes that you don't read and then like the vibe in the room, what is actually, like, how do you write these scripts? I I like don't know the answer to that.
2: Uh, there's sort of a, a first phase of writing it where it's just, it's more like structure and the writing is crap and it's not supposed to be good. And it's just sort of connecting stuff. Cause for me, the structure is like, is like, it feels like 75% of what I, of what I need to do because because the things I feel like I'm interested in, especially lately, are things that, it's not like one character where I get in this guy's mind. It's sort of like things that touch on a lot of different worlds. Like with Y2K, it involves all the things. It's technology, and it's the politics of the time, and it's conspiracy theories of the time, and it's religion, and it's my own story. It's it's sort of philosophical feelings of endings and beginnings, and, and, and the different sort of emotional things that something like a millennium will bring up for you. And, and and i want i want to try to get all those things into like a paragraph. and so but in order to do that like you have to you have all those big things moving around and you just got to squash them up into a into a little ball and that little ball is the paragraph. that like
1: clarity about what works for you and what doesn't work for you where does that like where does that come from? cuz missing richard simmons which we'll talk about that was the first podcast that yeah. you did. yeah. and it seemed to me at least like you had very clear ideas about how you wanted to do it, which was surprising because you hadn't done it before. Yeah. So, like, from a process standpoint, like, you've done lots of other things. You're, like, a producer on The Daily Show and directed documentaries. Like, was there some moment when you realized that, like, the way that you liked to work was to go off and self-squash?
2: Um, I think there's a couple of things going on there. Um... First of all, I spent 20 years in television, which is collaborative to the point of pain. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and sometimes it works wonderfully, but sometimes all the notes come from places that aren't pure and they don't really help. And and so that it always feels like menacing instead of really helpful. Um, also, I, I feel like by the time I got to the point where I was making Missing Richard Simmons, I've been doing, I've been working long enough and I had, my career had, uh, transitioned enough that I was finally at the place that I 100% chose to be at and when and I, I think when I finally got there regardless of how it turned out I just felt really confident that like here's the story that I feel 100% confident that I can tell and that it feels important and that nobody else is telling this story nobody else wants to talk about this thing and I felt like all the, all the time and work I had I had in terms of leaving sort of changing careers and moving out of television and trying to do film and then moving out of film and doing pocket like I it all got me to this place where I'm here because I chose this and and I feel like if I don't do it the way I feel like is the most effective like what am I doing?
1: How did you uh how did you figure out how to write
2: for audio? Was it different than than TV? it's so hard to explain because it's also the first time I've written for myself. So I think I, I think when I started writing for audio was also when I started writing my, in my own voice. Rather than like producing TV. Yeah. So I've written for a lot of, I've, I've written jokes for people. I've written scripts for a lot of people. Um, and, uh, and so I know how to do that. And that's a different thing when you're trying to write how somebody else would say something. Mm-hmm. But but so when I when I came into doing audio, it was more that I was writing for myself, and so I think I just wrote exactly the way I would speak and and, and I think that has got me probably most of the way there. And so that was the new thing. instead of like, "How do I write without images?" It was less that and more it's like, "Wow, I, I get to say exactly what I would say. that's what comes out." And that that was a weird feeling to like it, it was it's like, been kind of like freeing though. Super freeing, super fun. <laughs> it was like really fun and um, fun. It was just, it was yeah. I liked it. <laughs> just super like Christmas morning type like like it was like super. Uh, it felt really fun, hard but fun. Were there were there
1: stumbles in it? Like, I feel like I didn't see a lot of like the 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 scratch work.
2: You know? Wow. I mean, I I felt like there were a lot. There were a lot of versions of that, and then I got a lot of input that really changed the way I structured things and talked about it. So it's nice you think you didn't see a lot of scratch work, but um, that's great. Uh, You're (laughs) ignorant. (laughs) Uh, You don't know what's
1: going on. Uh, But what was the question? Whether writing for yourself, writing in your own voice came easily... Or
2: I think there was something about uh, you know I was at the Daily Show for five years and I would write I would direct him and write the field segments right and so um, there's something about writing those field segments that uh, that is so stupid and literally the dumbest joke wins and I say dumbest in the best way like like who can think of the most like non sequitur like what makes you laugh. Um, when I was writing Missing Richard Simmons, or at least finally writing in my own voice, um, to feel confident that like if if you have an instinct and it makes you laugh or makes you feel something, uh, just do it. And then and then I would bring it into the room, and people would tell me what worked and what didn't. And like, what's better than that? One of the things that struck me when uh,
1: when you started writing Simmons was um, uh, you seem pretty comfortable like um, going for the going for the joke. Is that bad? I have no I have no value judgments, <laughs> but like that was one of the things I feel like even in those early edits, yeah. Like there would just be these like like there was one that I remember.
2: <laughs> Did it make it in? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. That
1: was um, it, you guys were going to um, find like his childhood friend in Mississippi or his right?
2: Oh yeah, we went to uh, Mississippi. Yeah, we went to visit his like one of the three people who were still talking to him. Right. Who turned out that he wasn't,
1: and um and. Like you go to his door and he basically is like, I can't I can't talk to you right now because I'm I'm too busy. And like the scene ends and then there was just this one more line that was like like anyone in Mississippi could possibly be that busy.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, that might be a little much. Uh you know, it's hard. I, that's where my head goes, uh, and and I, I will say I made a conscious choice going into *Missing Richard Simmons*. Like I'm not writing jokes. Uh, like when I'm in the field, I don't write. When I'm ta- interviewing, none of I don't write anything. And so, and so I, I made a conscious decision that I was going to just rely on my on my own voice, mm-hmm. and, and I wasn't going to censor myself. I was just going to say. I was like, I was going on this very real journey, and so that sort of thing came out when we were doing it, and so we started collecting all these interviews where I was just like talking in inappropriate times and laughing too much uh, and like and, like literally like making exclamations like, oh my gosh, when somebody tells me something shocking instead of being professional and like listening there and realizing that if I talk over them that I can't use that audio. <laughs> uh, and, but I, but, but so we had all this stuff and I, I like that stuff. I, I like, I like, I like interviews that are experienced. I, I don't like to go and do an interview with somebody where I'm letting them, where they're filling holes in my script and I'm just sitting there asking the questions and waiting for them to say the thing that fills in the hole of my script. What I want to do is go, they're opening themselves up to me and, and I want to experience something with them and and give back to the conversation they're having and help them process something too. And And so that means not shutting up sometimes. Uh, And so I made that decision. And so it made sense that in the script we would do the same thing. Just don't say what you're thinking.
1: You jumped ahead there slightly. And I do actually want to talk about the way that you interview people because it also feels uh, different to me. But um, I remember, again, like just sitting in those rooms when some of those jokes would be there. And like we'd all laugh. And then there would definitely just be this like moment. Yeah. And I could never tell... It's so funny that I like have not asked you this before, and now I get you in this room and I can ask you. I could never tell whether it made you nervous, like it made you nervous to put those moments in there, which were funny, but also kind of made you seem like an asshole. On my way out, I'm just going to insult an entire state.
2: But here's what I'll say about that joke: is that I in the way I heard that. I guess you could play. Do you ever play clips?
1: Yeah, I mean, we can play a clip. Sure, I mean, I hope I got it let's right. play I the might, clip. I might have gotten it wrong.
2: What happened? He did not slam the door in my face, which makes him my new best friend. Yeah, he was super nice. Um, I think he was making excuses. Um, he basically said that he just got back from Los Angeles and that he was having a busy few days, and um, and that he has to go pick up his nephew from the airport, and all just all this stuff. And anybody who says they're having like a crazy day. Mississippi just feels a little not true okay that was rude my comment not the bleep the bleep was to protect his privacy he he was making up a story basically. He was saying he was saying I'm too busy. I can't. I have to do all these things when he's retired. Like I just knew it wasn't true. Right. And so I was making a joke out of it. But in fact, it, it was a useful observation. Mm-hmm. If if as as a documentarian, like I'm observing, this person is making up a story because he's uncomfortable talking to me, which is what turned out to be true. He ended up canceling the interview. And so I was giving you information at the same time, but I was also sort of giving it my sort of asshole spin. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess what I was
1: asking, I, I wasn't like, not asking for necessarily like the justification of it, but more like, <laughs> did it make, did it make you nervous to do that? Did it make you
2: nervous to give it your like asshole spin? Um, did it make me nervous? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, it's not for everybody, but I know that now. <laughs> 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 That's a thing I yeah, learned from yeah, that Yeah, I've experience. learned something. No, I also I I I just um it's not for everybody, but it's me. Um and I also know that how far one can go and how I I go like a modicum of that like I'm not I'm not that outrageous. And so I I may say things that are a little off color but it's authentic and it's real and it makes me laugh. Uh and 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 I think there's a real um I, I think there's a real um, it's 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 not a small thing it sounds self-indulgent but but creating something that makes is joyful to you uh, and and makes you laugh I think people can he- people feel that when they listen to it and if they can feel that i'm emotionally connected to the experience not just because i think the story is important because i'm feeling stuff all on the way and like we are experiencing stuff this is happening and it just makes me laugh and it makes me make stupid jokes and i feel like maybe people can relate to that and a lot of people can't but that's okay <laughs> and I will also say that I that I, I think I'm pretty good at reading a room, and so that's another reason why edits are really useful. Is that I see people making those faces. Mm-hmm. What is that emoji where people make the uncomfortable smile, like the, like the uh, grimace emoji? Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> well, I, 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 if you get a couple of those, and I start to I start to gauge whose sense of humor I feel aligned with and whose I don't, uh, and, I, and 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 who if, if somebody reacts really strongly to something, like I I am pretty good at gauging that in a room. And if I feel like it it it, it takes people out of the moment, which is not not what I want to do I just want to take them out of it for a second and get back in right quick mm-hmm. if it doesn't do that then I won't I, I don't think I would put it in I don't think and then, until I find one that really makes me laugh and I'll do it anyway <laughs> because then I still have that memory like I can go back and listen to it you can't like I love that <laughs> do you feel like there's a
1: uh, a gap between like regular you and uh like host you
2: that's interesting I mean I mean certainly I mean the 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 sort of narration is 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 written right and I, I'm performing that when I when I when I read it um, but I'm also not doing like 10,000 takes yeah
1: that's a thing that um, the people who work on your show
2: talk about that you don't know I think what
1: most people have to do lots of takes
2: and, oh. you, and you do very few Oh, in a good way you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, a lot right. of people say you should try harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Like like uh it, it that seems to come very naturally to you.
2: Yeah, uh I get. I am glad. That's great. Uh, but but I think that's part of part of getting there is to try and if you the the easiest way to make it an authentic journey for me, this whole thing, just of like spending a year on Y2K or spending a year on what I'm doing now, which is I'm pulling my hair out for, uh, and, and spending all this time on, on Richard Simmons, like, if it's not an authentic ex- experience for me, like, what are we doing? Like, it's, and, and I get that the the final product that I share with everybody else is important, but, but people, I, I get to spend all this time processing and thinking about this thing that I was begging people to let me spend time thinking about. And and they're letting me do it, and I get to, I get to go and 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 find anybody I want to talk to you about this, and like it's so, and like I, I just want to impart as much as possible that 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 this is happening to me, and I want you to hear this happening to me because it's wonderful, it's really wonderful. So, Missing Richard Simmons was a six
1: episode show, yeah, uh, about the fitness guru mm-hmm. Richard Simmons, mm-hmm. who you uh, knew personally. Mm-hmm. Uh who uh had I think the language that we used sometimes was like ghosted the world. Yeah. Uh he'd basically like cut off everyone in his life except for his brother and a handful of others. Yeah. Um and sort of disappeared from public life and he was like the most public person. Yeah. Um and the way that we made that show was we did the first couple of episodes and then we sort of like reported it and made it in real time. Yeah. Um and a thing happened with that show which is that uh, two things happened w- w- one I won a Webby one of one, three things happened the, <laughs> the Webby happened uh, sorry oh, man. Man. <laughs> we can go on a whole digression about the and my feelings about the Webbies. <laughs> but I will not um, so the Webby happened the other two uh, smaller things that happened were many many people started listening to the show millions yeah. of people started listening to the show yeah. and Uh, The way that I've described it to people is like, there's like something at the top of the maw in like American culture. And for a brief time, missing Richard Simmons was like at the top of the the maw. And I, I, I have these vague memories of like looking at like just searching Richard Simmons on Twitter and like it was just like a stream of thoughts and whatever. And so that was the first thing. So a lot yeah. of people started listening to the show. And then the second thing was um a lot of people started having uh significant grievances with yeah. the show. Yeah. Particularly like the ethics of the show and also you personally. And we uh there was an article in the New York Times yeah. called the show Morally Suspect. Yeah. In the headline. In the, sure did, yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't get that a lot in the New York Times. <laughs> it
2: felt like they were,
1: they really went for it. Yeah, it was almost personal. Anyway, yeah. uh, the, the, um, the, the thing that I wanted to ask you about was, I don't know that we've ever totally talked about this because we were so in it. We were like making these episodes. And mm. It just felt so kind of crazy and intense and surprising. Like, at least for me, the whole experience it's was so shock. surprising. But what was it? what was it like for you both, that first part, not the Webby, what was it like for you, as the show started to catch? In my experience, you can tell me if this is wrong, was that you'd been making things for a long time, like TV and documentaries, yeah. and it hadn't had something catch like that, yeah. So, what was it like for that to happen? Then, and then, <laughs> what was it like when it turned?
2: Let's. Um, uh, how do I? It was. You. It, it was. You're. You're absolutely right. It was. It was one of those. things Things I remember. There was a point where it just started going up in the charts uh, and the iTunes charts, and then and then you know we we were getting some press. It was great. It was good press. Like we were getting good press. Oh yeah. Um, but it was just press. It was press. Um, and then we started getting calls from like Nightline, like uh, like huh, and like and then it just and there was a point and I remember there was a point where Howard Stern had called me. Or Howard Stern. Uh, It wasn't Howard Stern. It was Baba Bui, the executive producer of Howard Stern, uh, who called me, which is amazing. And then... um I can say this. My mom will listen to this. I had just smoked a joint. Um it was nighttime. Uh, and I just smoked a joint and the Today Show called me. And they said, "We're sending a camera over now. We so can we we want can we send a camera over?" Like this. And I was like, "You guys can't send a camera over here right now."
1: Do you remember what you did next? Bef- like after you <laughs> hung up that phone? Yeah. You called me. Yeah. And you were like all right, man, here's the deal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't remember that. Time. Oh yeah. Um, you
1: were like, here's the story. Uh, I'm incredibly high. <laughs> I was just called by, by the today show. They want to send a car here. I think I have to tell them. No.
2: Yeah.
1: Do I tell them? No. <laughs> what do I tell them? Can you tell them? No. It was, uh, Sounds a
2: little paranoid, it, it
1: was, was one of the, it was one of the first times I really heard you like unnerved, but, yeah.
2: that, but it was, and I, I remember, I remember, I remember looking I remember looking at my husband and we were both just so amazed and I said, "Oh, this is happening. That thing is happening. That thing where it's no longer in your control and it's blowing up. It's happening." You know, like Scott Rudin sent me an email. Like, what? Like scary stuff that I don't want anything to do with that. Like, it's scary. Uh, it's nice. It's accolades. It's wonderful. But you can, it, it, it is more unpleasant than it is pleasant because the lack of control is just the scariest part. You can see the different ways it can go. And you can kind of see out of the corner of your eye the way people are writing about it. Not about me. Like, at first, it was just like people writing about it. As here's this new podcast. It wasn't like a review of the podcast. It was like here's this new podcast. Now let's go. You know, let's send paparazzi to Richard Simmons' house. Uh, and so now there's paparazzi staked out in front of his house, twenty four hours a day. And like I, so, and so, and then, and then, like there's like you know, like sort of TMZ people are like joking around and making jokes about Richard Simmons. And like, and 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 so I don't want that. I mean, the the project was like I am, I am in. Cam Richard Simmons like I fucking love the guy I think he's really special and so I can see it becoming that sort of thinner flatter more salacious version really quickly out of the corner of my eye and so that's uncomfortable and then I, uh, I turned off Twitter and I just I was like I, and then I started feet, uh I turned out Twitter, and then I was in Los Angeles, and we were finishing. Henry and I were finishing the final two episodes, uh, and I went. It was really early. It was like five in the morning, and I was staying at the standard hotel. And I walked down. I walked down to the coffee shop uh, to get coffee, uh, and I flipped open. I flipped open the newspaper, and there's there's the, uh, there's an article saying Mortally. Su-, what was the headline? It was like morally suspect podcast or something like that, yeah. and it was in the New York Motherfucking Times that supposedly was I knew was ripping me. I think I read the first few paragraphs and I never read the rest. And it was like, wow, that's amazing. And I didn't know what to do with it except put it away in a box until we were done. That was what you did. I tried. I turned off Twitter. I turned off everything. I stopped reading. Uh, I uh, my husband started filtering things, so I was just like, could you? So he started reading everything, uh, and he would tell me if something came out that he thought was like I should know about. Um and and so I I sort of pushed all that I put I pushed the I pushed it as much away as I could, which is a and then I pushed a lot of good stuff away too. So I started getting I, I didn't wasn't getting any positive feedback either. And so I want positive feedback, right? Uh, but there is no filter for that on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Did you so, feel bad? Uh, I felt. Uh, I f- here's I felt bad for Henry. In a weird way, uh, because I felt this was driven by my vision of, of a story that I felt like needed to be told. And Henry and all you guys came along for that um, in a really big way. But when it happened, I just felt like it was the this was Henry's younger, although he's he's really well established. But I just feel like he's he's a little bit younger and, and that the first time this was happening, it was it, it was going to feel negative And I felt bad for that. I, I felt him feeling that. And I, I just, as a, as somebody I work with and somebody who I really came to like, I mean, we're friends now. Like, I, I felt I I was unhappy about that um, on a personal level. I was I was unhappy and um, confused and and also just. But I I started. It was worse after it was done because it really I was literally focused on finishing and and so I was sort of incorporating the thought that that conversation was happening out there among the other conversations. But I, I I was more focused on like, well, what does that mean for my approach here? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was a little more, um it was a little more just nose to the grindstone.
1: Is part of that time when you're like off by yourself writing, I think that these shows where we spend like an incredible amount of yeah. time and they're very crafted and we go through like edit after edit after edit, there's some tension potentially between the final product and What exactly you are like trying to accomplish? Yeah, and maybe this is a little bit of a leading question because I my experience of you is that the gap is small. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in how it feels for you, and like whether it feels small to you or whether part of the process that we don't always see is. You like trying things out that then ring false somewhere.
2: Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, I will write stuff that I just think. I mean, there's tons of stuff that is is false. And but 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 it's so interesting that you're talking about is is the, is the process that I get that to the closing that gap. Does that happen in private? When I feel like I literally do it in front of you, like constantly, <laughs> like especially when we were doing the last episode of Mister Richard Simmons, and the edit process was useful there, not because having other people listen to my work and tell me what was wrong with it. It wasn't about trying to make me fit into something. It was about having gone on this whole journey and getting to the end and summing it all up. That people were telling me that I wasn't being myself enough, and it was a completely different. It felt that's what it felt like to me. That people would keep reading, like I literally remember being on the phone. I remember where I was in Los Angeles, and I was talking to you, and you're like, "Yeah." I was like, literally, I was like, "This is it." Like we did. I was like, literally, if I if I was a high five person, I would be high fiving Henry. Uh, I was like, I, I was I was like, we did it. This is good. We're that we're almost there. And like you were just like, it's not. And it wasn't because it wasn't fitting anybody else's mold of what they wanted it to be. It's because they didn't feel like it was, I was being honest. People didn't feel like it. it, To me, it felt like people were saying, especially Jenna, people were saying, you're not saying it. So you have to, something you're not saying. And I think people were being honest about that. Those people, you guys were helping me be closer to what, to close that gap. That's what it felt like to me. I don't know if it was true or not. There was one thing that I feel
1: like happened with Simmons, which I've, feel some fiduciary duty to ask you about, which is, um, uh, I felt like you were straddling this line on the show between documentarian and friend and journalist. Mm. And I did think that a critique of the show that landed with me was that you sometimes used those roles to your advantage. Do you feel like what you're doing is journalism?
2: Did I use what role to my advantage? Like that like I was you were
1: you were a friend when that was a useful role, and a journalist when that was a useful role. Um, oh, like you you could shape shift a little bit in the show.
2: Oh, is that a problem? <laughs> was that a criticism? I don't know. That was a criticism. Oh, right? who said that? I don't know. That's my <laughs> criticism. Yeah, that's hilarious. It's like some anonymous blogger, Schmax <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Minsky says. Um, did I? Uh, yeah i I mean i I don't I don't consider myself a journalist. I've worked in journalism uh, I, I I use a lot of the same rules um, but it's you know I definitely consider myself more from the filmmaking documentary world where it's you you're, it's it's similar rules but just more leeway in terms of how you tell it. I don't see why I mean I'm that's my favorite stuff. Is again like, He's like blurring those lines. I, yeah, not even blurring them on purpose. It's like blurring them like a person. Like you're a person. Yeah. I feel like I sometimes I hear things. I see. I, I see a reporter that's pretending to be a reporter. Then, but but I see. I see like especially with narrative nonfiction, especially in podcasting. Like very often, people are trying to divorce themselves from what they're talking about. And all I can think when I'm listening to them is like, I I see you. I see you. You're a person, and I know that you have. And I, I that. Pretending that that person doesn't exist and that you're just the voice, it, it um, with your own like acknowledging those biases to me uh, and acknowledging the humanity of the person telling the story and asking the questions to me, that's full disclosure. That's like that's what's going on. That's, well, that's
1: about the gap too, right? Like that's about trying to close that gap between who yeah. you are in your life and who you are on the show. Yeah. And I also think that that's part of what makes people uncomfortable about podcasting sometimes yeah you know is that like
2: but nobody there, there's this nobody, nobody said what you can do I mean even just saying podcasting like podcasting is like it's so many I don't even call myself I, I, I really try not even to call myself a podcaster I try to say I'm a documentarian because I I mean there's so many different types of podcasts that it's not even specific enough it doesn't why would you walk into this place podcasting where the rules are, are still not, not a lot of rules have been written. Why would you walk into this place and just like, I'm just going to stick to the rules. here? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Like, and it's, I'm not trying to break any rules. Like I'm not trying to do things. I'm not trying I'm not smashing plates. Like I just feel like to mold, to, to, to be able to mold yourself to the, to the story you're trying to tell makes more sense than sticking to rules that, that don't necessarily make any more sense. And I I think there needs to be rules for the way you tell us you need to sourcing and respect for privacy and like all these things, like all these rules are here for a reason, but there's that, and there's a line, there's a line that you shouldn't cross. But I don't see the point of not walking up to that line and (laughs) looking over it. Yeah, because that's, that's where interesting stuff are happening. And that's also where people are staying away from because they're too afraid of it a little bit, and I, and I and I think if you approach it with with a head on your shoulders and you take the time to, you can't just walk up to the line and be like, line, I don't care, and piss all over it. Like, to walk up to the line, and and it's just like S-Town. Like, he did things in that thing like that you can't do. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to dig up somebody's homosexual sex life after they die and they splash it all. You're not supposed to do that, and yet he does it, But he does it in such a beautiful... And I was mad in the beginning of that episode. I was like angry. I was like, is he really going to do this? And by the end, I was truly tearful at at what a beautiful, loving way to honor somebody by literally a straight man trying to understand a closet of a gay man and, and, and talk about that in a really emotionally honest way, um, but he earned that. Like, he didn't just walk in and say, who's, who's gay and closeted? Like, what's your story? Like, he, he earned that by spending years following this person and having conversations, and, and to be able to earn that ability to cross a line a little bit and then jump back to where you belong, I think is where beautiful storytelling happens.
1: Okay, so you had a chance. Mm. After missing Richard Simmons, my experience of, of it was, and I was pretty close to it, that like, you could have kind of done whatever you wanted next like there was another show sitting there for you to do mm. and the 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 topic was pretty open like mm. i feel like you had like a something of a like creative blank check after that
2: which can be perilous right yeah and so <laughs> I, I how
1: how did you land on y2k why was that the why was that the thing you did next
2: um it it felt on deck while I sort of had a little juice to to, to do what I, literally what I wanted. And I could fuck up whatever I want. (laughs) Like, and I I understand. And so to to try to pick something ambitious that I it's hard to see what other outlet or medium I could tell the story in. The Y2K story was the one um, that has always been on my list. And it felt like I had just gotten done telling the story that ended up being a very personal story, despite myself. Often, and then at the end, I feel like I embraced it, uh, and that process of dis- self-discovery in the middle of making it was really interesting to me, and it felt like the space I was in and the space I wanted to keep going down, and so, and so I wanted the next thing to be something that I had a personal connection to, and that I just wanted to spend the next year of my life thinking about, and that 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 was that was the thing. What did you want to think about? Um, you know. The I, I wasn't sure, but I, I there there's a couple things going on. And one, I just think there there was always the narrative. Uh, there was something really funny which and, and sometimes I say the word funny, I also do this with the word stupid, uh, uh, that I say it, and I'm not quite using it right, but maybe you can get it in the context. There was something really funny to me about trying to tell a story about something that never happened. Uh, and that's what Y2K was, right? It didn't happen. Like, everybody was ramped up for this thing, and the world was gonna end on January 1st, the year 2000, and it didn't happen. And I just feel like that's it's hilarious to, it's just a funny, uh, it's a funny um, challenge. Uh, because obviously stuff happened. Uh, and I didn't know what that was specifically at the time, but we spent $500 billion. People poured into Israel waiting for the second coming and survivalists were, were were stocking their 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 bunkers with hamsters to have endless supply of meat. Like all this, these things were happening, but they're all laughable now. And I, wa- I thought it would be interesting to go back to that time before it became laughable uh, and see what that experience felt like. And then connected to that... The second thing in that equation is that not only is it a time when something happened, when nothing happened, anytime talk, people talk about Y2K, oh, nothing happened. It's always funny to me because that's when, for me, that's like the most important day in my life. <laughs> like, it is literally the moment where my life changed. I see before and after based on that. And I have never, I had never fully processed that because um, you spend a whole life processing something. Um, but for me, I, I, it was something... It was undone. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't done with it yet, uh, and so I, I knew this was a way to sort of pr- think about it more and and figure out why I wasn't done with it. Was the point to find some closure? I don't know if that. I don't know if closure. Like
1: exploring the undoneness is um is one way th- is one way to think about it. What does
2: closure mean? I mean, I don't know what closure. I'm not even sure what. I'm not even sure closure in- implies. I never thought about it that way. I but and so I, I guess what I th- I think at the process not the end and so I I felt like wrestling with this thing about my life a little bit more felt like time well spent because there was stuff I hadn't figured out I was I you know this is so lame but I can talk about this stuff on the show right people are going to give me a break but I'm um, going to like it's about a moment in my life where I mean that I that I was literally still having wake up screaming nightmares about Wake up screaming, like that thing where you you you're, you're dreaming.
1: You mean like in 2018, you were still having wake up nightmares
2: about this thing that happened to me in the year 2000. Can
1: we just say what the thing is?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so on January 2nd, it actually ended up being uh, the year 2000. Uh, I ended up uh, coming out to my wife as a gay man and walked out on her, and 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 the process leading up to that. Was the process and leading up to Y two K at the same time? It all got wrapped up for me, and that it was a, it was a, it was a, a rapture of just like like emotional, like internal violence. Like it was just a horrible uh, experience and trying to figure it out. That's just my experience. Not to mention how it was for her and the guilt and shame and all that stuff. And I I, I was still having nightmares about it. Like literally, where you 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 in your dream you're 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 screaming and then you re, then you realize I'm awake now. And my husband be like, "What are you doing?" Like and. So, like, I'm not done with it. <laughs> but I don't have those dreams anymore. I haven't had them in a long time. When did they stop? Uh, I would say at least six months I haven't had one like that. Which is, like, basically when we really got into production. Yeah, like, yeah, know? yeah. I don't think that's, I mean, I, I certainly think, I mean, it, it wouldn't take a genius to be like, yeah, you're thinking about it all day. Like, you're pro- I'm spending all this time processing it so there's an outlet for it as opposed to the dream. If I wasn't thinking about it all day, I would be dreaming about it. I needed some outlet to think about it. You um, uh, endeavored to talk to your ex-wife for
1: the show, <laughs> and uh, and she said no. Mm. Um, when you decided that this is what you wanted to do, how important do you think that conversation was to you? Like, how big a part of wanting to do this was
2: talking to her? I thought it would have been more important to her, uh, and and I and I it w- it would have been a really satisfying i think conversation to have um without disclosing too much um we ended up having the conversation in the process of talking about whether or not she would participate in this we ended up having some conversations that we never really had because of that but you con- know that yeah like it, it 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 was it was all in one conversation but it lasted a long time and it was really intense um like I talk about these things as personal experience, like I kind of got some of that. In the end, she decided she didn't want to do it, but for reasons I totally get. Like she's moved on, she's married, she's got kids, she's got a, she's had, she's successful, she's got a whole other life, and like, you know, cracking these things open on somebody else's timetable is not. If you're not there, you're not there. Um, and so she's super supportive of it. Like you know, I talked to her a couple of weeks ago about it, and she knew it was coming, and. We, it, it just—it uh, just wasn't something that she wanted to be in.
1: I'm glad you got to have that conversation. I yeah, that. it was really. Uh,
2: that's. Got a, uh, that's uh, yeah,
1: it was awful. I feel like and a good. load off my shoulder.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really good. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, it's the kind of thing that. Um, it was a long time ago, and yet you have those conversations, and you're like, "This was yesterday." Here's the thing that I want to know,
1: uh, about you, which I have not asked you before. Missing Richard Simmons, we got to this point at the end of the show. There was a lot of sort of like noise from the outside and narratively, I think, within the show that sort of needed you to answer why you were doing it. Hmm. And I do remember like that phone call when you're in L.A. and saying like, you haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah. And then Y2K, I mean, it's this like expansive story and you guys did so many, so much reporting and it's like 15 stories in one and we're all over the world and the structure of it is like incredibly ornate but at the heart of it is this crisis turning moment of your life mm. in both of those situations it feels to me like you had something that was unresolved you hadn't really figured out that like was pretty painful on some level I find it so interesting and foreign and brave that your response to that feeling is like you know what I'm gonna do get a bunch of people they're gonna work with me on this for a year I'm gonna shine like a huge fucking spotlight on this like dark soft area of myself even though I don't quite know what the answer is yeah most people do not like spring up a large production apparatus around themselves.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, that's not you. It's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah,
2: I know it feels. Yeah, yeah. And and right. put
1: themselves in a situation where for months on end they're gonna come into an office in downtown Brooklyn and try and figure out what happened. Hmm. Does that sound right? Because that's how it's felt to me.
2: Does that sound right? Uh, it sounds right. I I would amend it a little bit. It's not like I. It's not like I'm like Henry. Come on and help me write my memoirs. Like it's 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 me, my lens on it. In, in these situations and in the next one too, is what makes the thing. Is that is that it's because I feel like I'm seeing something that that other people aren't seeing, which is what everybody does, right? Like if you're telling if you're a journalist or a documentarian or a filmmaker, like you see something, you have a vision, right? Um, but what I'm seeing is on the outside but the lens is me and i and 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 to know that i've got personal hooks in the story for me i should hope should bring comfort to the people who i'm working with that like i'm not just telling some story like i'm not just telling like oh look here's this guy who got murdered and we're going to pretend like we're going to solve it but by the end we're not gonna but it's still a great story like I wanna do things where that personal investment is is like insurance for everybody around me that I'm gonna take it seriously. And that it'll be a story told, hopefully, with um, with some emotional importance. So there's all, there's this, like, you could take my story out and still tell really, really compelling versions of the story, right? But hopefully, my additional part just adds a little bit of um, urgency to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it feels like to me. That's that's sort of what makes it the experience interesting for me it is embarrassing to think about it that way though like when you say <laughs> put together an apparatus you're right like you're you're asking people to it is weird doing edits like no but I I, I think I think you <laughs> I think you heard the wrong thing oh okay what do you want you, me to
1: hear it's no one here has ever been like you know it fucking sucks man oh, sitting with Tabersky while he works this shit out oh that, I'm not yeah that's not that's not what I was saying at all what I was saying is I talk to people on the show all the time who write about things that ostensibly have nothing to do with them and if you like peel it back enough and dig enough they're writing about themselves in some way they're trying to figure out something about themselves yeah you know like uh, I did this interview with Gay Talese once and realized that like wow. everyone he had written about was like an, uh, an Italian American man within like six years of his age That's you amazing. know um, that like that I think is a lot of what drives at least the people I talk to here is yeah. there's like, there's something they're trying to figure out. Terry gross, Talked to Terry gross. And she was like, every one of these conversations, I'm like trying to figure something about myself out. But a lot of those versions of that are, are like uh much subtler and safer. Yeah. And I feel like you're doing this thing where I'm going to use some, terrible metaphor but like Please do. you're jumping out of a plane and you like don't know if the parachute is going to catch whatever the thing is like you're putting yourself out there and you don't actually know where it's going to land yeah. and for most people like maybe even the vast majority of people I've ever met that would be not just terrifying but like a fucking nightmare <laughs> oh yeah you know yeah and for you it seems a lot of the time it seems fun, at least you, you feel
2: to me, unafraid of it. Uh, yeah, that's weird, right? Uh, <laughs> um, I am afraid of it, but just enough. Enough to put the fear of God in me, not enough to make me not do it. Um, The weird thing is I find myself in an unusual situation where, and I don't want to say anything nice about you, <laughs> I don't want to say nice. Things never before, it's never happened before. In not general, it's just not something I want to do. I find myself in a situation where I'm surrounded by people who are telling me to do things that, who are telling me I can. It's such a. It sounds so la- so lame. But like, like there was no, literally like I was. I said, I said, give me some money, and I'm going to make this podcast, and I don't have an ending but we're going to get there and we're going to start it with Missing Richard Simmons. We're going to start it and people are going to be listening to it and as we go, then I'm going to figure out the ending. We'll see if we get Mister Richard Simmons at the end. Like, it'll be great. And they said yes, like, which is like, I, I worked in television for 20 years. Like, the, the, do you know the outlines that you need to, for, for any sort of real reality thing, like you need to know what happens at the beginning, middle and end. And, and you are filling in holes in the script that they make you write six months before you start shooting. Uh, there's nothing real about it. And I started Y2K. I don't know how it's gonna end. I don't have any of your characters. I got none of your characters, but here's what I wanna do. And everybody's like, yep, let's do it. And everybody just seems so enthusiastic about it. Uh, and I am too. And so it just, it seemed, It I feel supported. Uh, and it, it just, it, like, if you're not gonna use that situation to take uh, a risk like that, like, what are you doing? Let me put it this way. I don't know what else to do if I don't ask questions and spend time trying to figure things it's it's all we're all trying to do right like that's what this is it's like you're you're telling these complicated stories because they touch you in some way but if you're not changed by the end of it then what was the point i don't know i don't know but the (laughs) next one the next one does make give me literally it makes me nausea a little bit the next season yeah a little bit but they all do like it's total but i i don't need to complain to you guys about it Hey, Dan, thank you for doing this. Uh, thanks for having me. You kidding me? I listen to your podcast all the time. <laughs> Fuck off. I really do.
1: <laughs> thanks for listening to Long Form. I'm Max Linsky. My co hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. This bonus episode was edited by Henry Malofsky. Henry is also the senior producer uh, on Missing Richard Simmons and Surviving Y2K. He led all of the production. For both of those shows and uh, I'm very biased, I have very little perspective, uh, but I am incredibly proud to be associated with both of those projects even in the uh, slightest way and they are both a testament to Dan and his writing uh, and also to Henry. Uh, that show is a partnership and uh, Henry is incredibly good at what he does. Our editor on Long Form is Janelle Pfeiffer, our intern is Tyler McCloskey. Our sponsors are MailChimp and Pit Writers. Thanks very much to them for making the show possible. We'll be back on Wednesday with one more uh, regular episode for 2018. Thank you all for, uh, for listening all year. See you then.
0: Why do you run?